Welcome to Two Penny Blog, where I share my two cents with anyone who cares. This is Pastor Lou Florio. Can a woman forget her nursing child or show no compassion for the child of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 15. Following sermon, Love Cradled Blessed was offered at Christ Lutheran Church in Fredericksburg, Virginia on February 13, 2022, the sixth Sunday after Epiphany. Due to the positive feedback that I received and discussion that followed the sermon, I'm sharing it here as part of my podcast. You can also watch it on Christ Lutheran's YouTube channel or Facebook page. The primary text for the sermon was Luke chapter 6, verses 17 through 26, that covers the Beatitudes. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the sixth chapter. Jesus came down with the twelve and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all in the crowd were trying to touch him, for power came out from him and healed all of them. Then he looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven. For that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise be to you, Christ. Please be seated. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, settle in a little bit. This is a critically important discussion that we're having this morning. And it's one that is, you'll see, difficult for me to share about. It was emotional for some people that heard it in the first service. And likely for some of you as well. But hopefully in the end, it's touching all of our hearts in some way where we can grow in trust and faith. With St. Valentine's Day upon us, I think it's a really happy coincidence that our assigned lectionary readings lead us to re-examine the Beatitudes of all things. The early church considered them formative values at the heart of their community and that they were believed to shape our life together and in the world. I remember very clearly as a youth going through confirmation, one of the things that I had to do is memorize each and every one of those beatitudes. It was like, it was going to be a test. I would be tested on it. 
And as a result, I found that I, in my youth, I thought that, boy, this is just kind of like rules, laws, some, some statements from some God distant far up, up ahead. I didn't really connect with them. I didn't really get them. Perhaps that's partly because the Beatitudes really aren't meant to be memorized. They're meant to be experienced. They're meant to be integrated into our heart and our soul. And sometimes, to be frank, that might take a level of mature faith that is born through suffering. At their simplest, you can understand the Beatitudes as sayings of Jesus. Some of you know or might recall from previous discussions that our Jewish siblings often call what we know as the Ten Commandments as the sayings of God. Yes, those commandments are at some level laws on how the community of faith should get along with one another and the world. But recall what Jesus and the prophets said about them. The fullness of the law is love, in particular loving God and others as oneself. And so if you take the time to read Martin Luther's large catechism or even some of those rabbinical interpretations you might find over the Internet, they don't always sound like stark law or mandates. They are deemed a way of love, a means of walking through life with more joy and peace, literally walking humbly in the way of and with our God. And so those sayings from the Hebrew scriptures they're not numbered, if you look there in the original documents, they're not numbered. People have done that after the fact. But that's because they're not meant to be legal codes. They're unique because through them, God speaks love to those he has chosen so that they might, just might, become a blessing of love at work in our world. You can find moral and ethical dimensions, to be sure, but they're all wrapped up in love. With such a gift, it can be such a shame that we lack understanding, the spiritual maturity sometimes, and we don't see that they're more than law. There's gospel infused into them because God spoke them and gave them to Moses for the people of God as a gift. God wanted those Israelites, and now through our faith and baptism, us too, to become the holy people of God. And if you've been here any length of time, if you've watched on the internet any length of time, you'll hear me lift that phrase up all the time because it's repeated endlessly in the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, the holy people of God. So what does that mean? Well, we are set apart. We are made holy, not by ourselves, but by God living in our midst. Yet we're called to live in holy ways. But we don't do this for our own sake. Jesus doesn't come to us just for ourselves. We are charged with a loving purpose in a fallen world. We are to share that ministry and mission, that purpose that God sent Jesus for into the world. And that just might mean some suffering. Well, the scripture reveals to us, and our own most recent history makes plain, we cannot save ourselves, we can't do this on our own. We cannot fulfill those laws. Yes, scripture is a help. I commend scriptures to you all the time. Those thou shalt and shall nots might inform God and challenge us to do better. But perhaps you've noticed that we live in a challenging world. Everything in life is not cherubs and boxes of chocolates. My apologies to Forrest Gump. Love can be hard. 
And even when we try our best, we can fall, we can fail, and we can suffer. And so out of love for us, Jesus offers us new sayings, blessings. That's really what Beatitudes means. It's just blessings. And these blessings serve to draw us closer, more intimately toward God and one another. Yet unlike Moses' experience, they aren't sayings given directly to a prophet and by extension to the people of God. No, here Jesus is God incarnate. And so those sayings are beyond special or should be beyond special to us. They're not mediated, but they're given directly to us. In a fallen world, these blessings recognize our suffering. But they tell us, they promise us, God's love is with us, always with us. More than that, these sayings remind us that nothing can separate us from such a love no matter what we experience. In Luke's telling, his witness of the gospel, there are some significant differences with what you'll find in Matthew 5 when Matthew witnesses to the Beatitudes. And recently, we've talked about that. I'm not going to go into it. You can find some things posted on our Facebook page, my blog, and other places. But consider for this morning, who was Luke? He was a human, just like you and me. He was likely of Greek descent. Many think he was a Gentile, but some suggest perhaps he was a Hellenized Jew. And in his life and time, he had the great fortune of becoming a doctor, meeting Paul in his travels, and become a co-worker with him. Luke inherited these stories. And so in the gospel, according to Luke, we hear his unique witness to Jesus. It's much as if I were telling you a story. The truth is transmitted through my lens. The truth was transmitted through his lens, his context and experience. And he likely also wanted to relate to those that were his audience, his original audience, many of which we know to be Gentiles and Hellenized Jews that surrounded him. In short, In Luke's gospel, in the way he tells his story and in what he thinks is important, you'll see through his lens that Jesus is portrayed as a God of suffering. No, not causing suffering, but Jesus is willing to suffer for us and with us and ultimately the answer to all suffering in the world. Jesus constantly reaches out to those marginalized, suffering or afraid, Through Luke's vocation as doctor and servant of Christ with Paul, Luke knew the extreme suffering of his century. Luke would have been all too familiar with sickness and injustice, poverty, violence, death, and the grief that always results. Thus, Luke recognizes the special nature of Jesus as God, who has profoundly come to us as one of us. Jesus came to share in that suffering of our world, that suffering that you and I share in, and reach out to the outsider, like the Gentiles, the widows, the immigrants, the lonely, the sick in body and spirit, you and me. Jesus was and remains God with us in our imperfection and suffering. And at the same time, Jesus came as the answer to the fall. Jesus came to heal and restore. This is exactly what Luke remembers and shares with us 
as Jesus prepares to share his most central of teachings. As you look at the opening of this passage, Luke points out to us that Jesus heals, Jesus saves, Jesus loves those that he has entrusted, that has entrusted to his care amidst the evil and loss of our world, a very real world. At this point in the story, people don't fully understand Jesus yet. And I'm sure that we probably don't really fully understand him today. I know that I do not. Still, in hearing of his teaching and his preaching, as well as the authentic love that he gifted to others, crowds came hungrily from all over the region, walking off in miles and miles and miles. Luke tells us that the people were so desperate, so hungry for hope and healing, that they wrestled with one another to reach through a mob of people reaching out to Jesus, just hoping to touch him. For power came out from him and healed all of them. It is at this moment that Jesus chose to share some very good news with that crowd and with the, for all of those that come afterward, to all those that might be yearning just to touch the hem of his garment, to experience a little bit of hope, if nothing else. Jesus knows not all of those in need could touch him in that sea of humanity any more than we can touch him as he's now ascended into heaven. Yet Jesus wants us to listen, believe, and be healed. So let's listen to what Jesus has to say. Reread it when you get home. That's my challenge to you. And then over and over and again throughout your life, treasure and ponder these words that are spoken to you. In the Beatitudes, Jesus is telling us that he already loves us amidst our suffering. And he invites us to love others as best as we're able. Whatever our sufferings are, big or small, transitory or seemingly permanent, he is God with us and already loves us. We can rejoice when our crops fail, as the prophet Habakkuk announced. We can cast our cares upon Jesus, for he cares for us, as Peter urges. We can recognize with Mary in her song, The Magnificat, a wonderful song that is only found in Luke's gospel, that our soul magnifies the Lord, and we can rejoice in God our Savior as lowly as we might feel or might even be. John tells us in Revelation, there will be a day when our hearts and our tears and suffering will be washed away. A future filled with hope is what Jeremiah the prophet called it. But John too acknowledges we aren't quite there yet. All creation groans for redemption, as Paul tells us. So why are we so surprised at suffering? Indeed, Jesus suffered for us. Yet suffering is not all that there is in this story. For God is not only with us, God and Jesus Christ is for us. We now belong to Jesus and not one of his sheep will be lost. Not one. What I'm getting at is that with all of this scripture, all of scripture itself, it's filled with similar promises. And these beatitudes bring these promises into greater focus, telling us that we should not trust our eyes or other senses. God is blessing us with fortitude and hope 
and understanding and counsel and so much more. When we don't have the words to express our pain, we are told and promised that the Holy Spirit lifts up our deepest needs and, and all our wounds to God. Life is hard. We might even at times rightly use more forceful descriptive words than the word hard. But don't think for a moment that God and his love has abandoned us, abandoned you. Hope truly can be born of suffering. At times we might kid ourselves to think that we can just keep our chins up, keep trying hard and we'll make it through. We might internalize and deny our pain or the pain of the world. Yet we lie to ourselves when we share that old maxim, God won't give us anything more than we can handle. For in the verse that inspires that maxim, that hubris really, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, we are instead told that our suffering is just part of the world. So accept it. It's common at some level to each and every one of us. But then Paul actually writes in response to this context of suffering that we share as human beings in a real world. He says, God is faithful and he will not let you be tested, tempted, tried beyond your strength. But if you are with the testing, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to endure it. Did you hear that? Did you listen closely? When we feel overwhelmed and cannot go on, when all hope seems lost to us, and we might feel like the biggest losers or victims that exist in this world, dead inside, God will be there to bless us and free us. Jesus plans our resurrection. It is God who will give us the way out and a way forward, always. It is God who will turn our suffering on its head and declare ultimate blessing. Even in suffering, more is going on than we can see or understand. God's love for us overflows. Just hang on to those promises like a life preserver. Now, I've gone already on a little longer than normal, but bear with me, for after all, this is among the most important passages we have in Scripture. As Christians, we need to consider where we can testify to the good news, where these sayings come alive, and that can often come from our own stories and experience. So as I prepare to close, I want to share one more difficult, but really, to me, profound experience of grace from my own life. Even though it's many years later, it is difficult for me to do so. If you have experienced a death of a child or experienced such deep loss in any way, you might relate to the seeming inconsolable pain that such an experience can create. Now, you all know my wife and I have no children, which is, too, a kind of loss for us emotionally, right? But I have experienced the death of beloved children at very young ages, some that I've had very deep relationships with. My cousin, Colleen, died at 16 from pneumonia. Children and youth that I cared for in South Dakota and other vocations have died violently at times. I have seen children and infants brutalized 
and thus sometimes die. And as a police, hospital, and hospice chaplain, even recently I've walked and alongside officers and nurses and families that have shared in such tragedies. And as a result, they walk wounded afterwards, often brought to tears just at the memory. How can we speak love at such times? How can we be love? Well, we can try to because we know this, God is there, perhaps hidden, Perhaps hard to see, but our God who is love is there. So we are asked to press on, reach out, and watch and wait for Jesus. As a young chaplain, I was called to the hospital from home. A newborn infant had just died and the family had been gathered. The family had already presented a nice memory box from the hospital with a hand and footprint, a lock of hair, and other small mementos of a life that was all too short. I came into the room not knowing what to expect. This is my first death of that kind. I didn't know what I could say. And I do know that human words probably are not ever good enough in such a situation. And so as as I was inside my head and I turned that corner, almost startled from my thoughts, there was the mom held by the dad right in front of me. The mom in her turn was lovingly ever so gently cradling her baby's dead body in her arms. That's an image that I will never forget. They had been praying, praying so hard, and yet their beloved child had been taken from them. It was brutal. It was unfair. It remains beyond understanding. That God would take a child from its mother as she prayed was appalling. I think a little bit of me died in that room. Then awkwardly, hopefully, the mom reached out to me with that baby. She asked me to hold that baby in my own arms and bless this gift of life that it was and remained to them. And in that sacred moment, still today, I know that as hard as it was to see through their tears and and still my own, God was with us. God was in that shared love found in family and community. God was in the mom's eyes looking at me with hope and love. God was in the caregivers and volunteers who supported them and those like them. I discovered that God was even trying to break into the world through me and my own heart, which was now being torn apart. It wasn't being torn for the sake of suffering. No, in that suffering, my heart was being opened up so that I could better welcome and embrace those in need before me, that I could better hear and see Jesus present. This was a difficult, horrific event, perhaps one of the worst of my life, and certainly their own. Why did this happen? I don't have an answer. Yet with that small body cradled in my arms, I recognized, perhaps it was even God speaking, that God was cradling us lovingly in our suffering. 
This event wasn't about me and my abilities as a chaplain or human at all. God was at work and Jesus opened my eyes to it. And so I was I found I was empowered to bear that moment and perhaps somehow serve as a sign of grace to try to help them bear up too, perhaps simply by my presence there. And perhaps here and now testifying of this sacred moment to you. As I walked on from that moment, even as it wounded me, and it did permanently wound me, healing was and is still entering into the world. As a Christian singer who experienced the loss of her own baby wrote in a song, one song that I deeply love and appreciate, this is what it means to be held, how it feels when the sacred is torn from your life and you survive. This is what it is to be loved and to know that the promise was that when everything fell, we would be held. I wish I could speak a word and all your pain and the pain of this world would disappear. And I don't pretend to know why God has allowed things to be this way with so much suffering and pain. Yet I do know this, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. My beloved God is with you and loves you. It is Jesus, after all, who said this and proved it through his own suffering, death, and resurrection so that we might experience abundant life with him. These blessings aren't really about you, your strength of faith or your perfection. Nope. They aren't really about suffering either, even as they call us to be something or someone more in the face of the suffering that is in the world. These blessings are about a new reality, whether we believe it or not, God is active in our lives and our world, a God who is only love. So go to Jesus as you can, not as you hope you might. Reach out to him even when he seems so far away, if not hidden from you. Or when you think your suffering might be more or less than the crowd around you, it still matters to Jesus. For all that you are and you experience in life matters to Jesus. Jesus is with you, always with you, and it is he who cradles you lovingly in his arms. Receive the blessing and believe. Amen. To learn more about Christ Lutheran Church, where I serve as associate pastor, please visit us at christ-lutheran-church.org. All opinions on this podcast and my written blog are my own, but if you have any questions about anything I've posted or ideas for a future podcast, please write me at twopennyblog at gmail.com. Twopennyblog is spelt out. I'd love to hear from you. To learn more about my work with the Theology on Tap program called Three Priests Walk in a Bar, visit us on Facebook at Facebook forward slash three priests. That's spelled out with no spaces as well. 
Now, for the legalese, unless otherwise indicated, all scripture quotations for any of my posts or podcasts are from the New Revised Standard Version translation of the Bible, also known as the NRSV. This podcast is copyright 2022 by the Reverend Louis Florio. All content not held under another's copyright may not be used without permission of the author.